We are living as believers in an unbelieving world. I know we still have in God we trust on our currency. It might as well be marked out, folks. This country, this world, this state, this city, this county does not trust God. So we are believers living in now what I've termed and what other books have termed, but I'm saying is an unbelieving world. Folks, you and I in this room are in the minority in this world. The stats are telling us now that close to 92% of the people within a one-mile radius of this church not only does not attend church, they really don't care to attend church. You know, 20 years ago, there was a segment of society that wanted to come. 40 years ago, all we had to do was open our doors and the people came. But we're living in a world now, folks, that let me tell you, 92% of the people you see on the street could care less about being in a church on Sunday morning. We've got to make a difference. And we don't have all the time in the world to make that difference. That's why a few months ago I am convinced God laid on my heart to do the series of messages that I'm beginning this morning with the series title, Living as Believers in an Unbelieving World. And what better book in the entire Bible than the book of James, the writer himself, to tell us, to show us what it means to live as believers in an unbelieving world. I have been taught all my life from the Word of God, the Scripture that says, come out from among them and be separate. And we had not done that yet, folks. Because the world thinks we look just like them. We don't stand out anymore. We're not different anymore. And it's a scary thought of what's happening in our world. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that in those last days before the rapture of the church, people will be living an apostate life. Now what that means is this. It means a life that is completely divorced from anything spiritual. Even Christians in a Southern Baptist church. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You just keep it in James and listen. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this in the first five verses, But know this, that in these last days perilous times will come. Now listen to this. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people you flee. That's what the Bible says the world will be like as God comes to take out His church. If that hasn't convinced you, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears that need to be scratched, 
They will heap up for themselves their own teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. I hope you don't listen to every evangelist on the television that tells you there's pie in the sky on this earth. There is no promise of that. The Bible says that you and I are going to have trials and tribulations, and he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. Folks. And then Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There's so many more verses, but let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away, that apostate society comes first. And the man of sin, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, is revealed. People ask me sometimes, do you think the Antichrist is alive today? Yes, I believe it could possibly be that he is. And folks, when you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, it doesn't take much rocket science to figure out. We're right in the middle of all that. We are living in this predominantly unbelieving world. Now, how do just the genuine believer live like that? How do you and I leave this worship service and we go out and live 24-7? Well, most of you in this house realize it's the hardest thing you've ever tried to do in these days. And that's what I want to do. How do we live? How do we act? How do we react? What do we do? That's what I want to do in answering those questions over these next seven weeks. You can look at the titles on our webpage. I have the Scriptures already in front out there, and you can look at it. But let me, this one, Seeking Godly Wisdom. Next week, we're going to look at faith plus good works equals genuine faith. All of these from the book of James. The third one is going to be learning how to speak. Some of us know how to speak when we get in church, but when we get out there in our car and we get in traffic and we get angry and we get mad, then things start to fly. And it amazes me when I was at Sears and Roebuck in 1970 to 74, how many Christian people I could be around and how much cussing I heard in that group. Folks, if you live differently out here, then in here, God will find you out. The fourth message will be possess a God focus instead of a God glance. So many of us live in a convenient religion, and James tells us how to look at God and make Him our focus. The third, the fifth one, or sixth one rather, is perfect godly patience. Folks, this is a hard sermon. I'm already working on it because I am the least patient man on the face of the earth. You just ask Connie Cheek. She will say amen. I'm surprised she didn't. And then the final one I'm going to talk to you about is practice fervent prayer. And I hope you all in each one of these messages to share some things with you that is just absolutely mind-blowing. This is not new material. It's just delving into the language to understand exactly what it means. So I go to James chapter 1. I outline is very simple. James chapter 1, those four verses, 5 through 8, says it like this. But if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without criticism or reproach, and it will be given to him. And then here comes the hard part, folks. But let him ask in faith without doubt, no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, and he is unstable in all his ways. If we're going to live 
as, un- as believers in an unbelieving world, the first thing you and I are going to have to do, you and I, we have heard this all of our life. But folks, as God has been working with me over these weeks and putting these sermons together, there have been revelations that have hit me, and I'm thinking, wow, why didn't I see that 20 years ago? Why didn't that come to me in that respect? That's why I'm convinced I have God's Word for us this morning. There are three things that in these first of these four verses in James, three simple things that James tells us to do on how to seek godly wisdom. And you're going to finish this outline and you're going to think, duh. Because it's so simple, but folks, in the midst of its simplicity, don't miss how profound this biblical precept is. It's more than a simple ask. It's even more powerful. The first thing that we must do if we're going to seek godly wisdom is ask God. Now, you remember? See, duh. All these are like this, you know? But I want to show you something about ask that perhaps you have never seen before. The Jewish people understood what wisdom is. Wisdom... was found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the beginning of the wisdom is fear of the Lord. They knew exactly because wisdom was a spiritual trait, hello, which developed from the wholehearted love that a person has for God. But earthly wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. Divine wisdom is pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere. You can look in James chapter 3, verse 17. But the Greek word for wisdom is a name that some people have named their children, Sophia. It does not mean intellectual knowledge. You can have all the doctorate degrees in the world that you can possibly have. And not have spiritual Sophia. Because you can have all this head knowledge, but it missed 12 inches. It never got to the heart. And where wisdom starts is in the heart. It's the knowledge to know not only what to do, but how to react under God. How do you find the wisdom of God? Yes, you ask God. God has revealed that to us in His Word from cover to cover. But I want to show you something that absolutely blew me away. The word ask in the Greek is a little word called ateo. Ateo, A-I-T-E-O in the, in the, in the English language. If we what we call transliterated. That means we write in Greek how to pronounce it in English. So ateo. I'm going to ask Doug Hines a question right now that he can respond to me with just one or two words. Doug, how are you? Good. Oh, good. Thank you. I just ask him something. That's not the word ask here. I have thought for years, and I don't know why I didn't look at it, that ask meant ask. Ask for directions. We guys don't do that. We use a GPS now. It's not that word. The word ask here is a word that means to plead. It means to beg. It means to cry out. It means to scream out to God for His Sophia. 
When was the last time anyone in this house, including this preacher, got on their face before God and pleaded with God for His wisdom? Would you stand up? That never hit me until these past weeks. Before we put our feet on the floor, our prayer ought to be, Lord, don't let me run into walls. If I do, I need your wisdom. I've got to have your wisdom today. I've got to have, God, don't let me breathe without it. We just say, God, give me wisdom. And we go on our day. Wonderful prayer. So many of you use God as a divine Santa Claus. God, I know you got all these other people to worry about, but let me just tell you what I need. And we start getting our Christmas list, and we start writing it off to God. If you were God, would you get tired of hearing everybody's Christmas list? But what about the person that begged you? I mean, not begging from the standpoint of a of a hurting beg, a beg from an inward cry out of a desperate passion to have that kind of wisdom. God, I want that kind of wisdom. I don't have that kind of wisdom on this earth. I am the least likely person to preach the gospel on the face of the earth. I want that kind of wisdom. And I plead and pray with God and ask Him to give it to me. So many times I run against that wall. I go through windows or whatever it takes and I fall flat on my face. But God somehow in His infinite love reaches down and picks up old Randy cheek and just dust me off with right? If you just do it the way I tell you to do it. Ask God. Try it this week. Try it with everything you do before you get out of bed, before you go to bed, throughout your day. God, I need your wisdom. And you may not have the cry and the inflection in your voice that I'm sharing with you this morning, but it's in your heart, and you're praying and asking, God, God, I want that wisdom. That's Sophia. That's not an earthly thing, folks. It is a spiritual passion. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift of God. And you know what the Bible says? When you ask for it like that, what's the answer? You'll get it. Not only will you get it, you will get it generously. Without criticism, God does not criticize or put you down for asking for that wisdom. He knows that we are dumb. We're sheep. We need to be led. My mother and dad were smart, smart, wise people. Many of you in this house knew most most of them, but before God called me into the ministry... I had such a passion to be a draftsman, architectural engineer. And that was what my passion was moving toward. I can't draw a thing freehand. But you give me a 30, 60, and a 45 degree angle and a set of drawing instruments until this day, I can still draw some pretty good house plans. And I remember asking my mom and dad for a set of professional drawing tools. And they were expensive. Some of you remember the Kmart out here on Roswell Road in Marietta. As a kid, I can remember that arch out front of that. And as a young child going over there with my mother and dad. And in my early years in high school, I remember seeing a set of instruments, drawing instruments that I wanted and needed. They were $50. Folks, that's like paying seven or $800 for them now. 
I was 14, 15 years old. I was working in the economy ice cream on Atlanta Road. Some of y'all may remember that. I made 35 cents an hour. Nowhere near coming up with 50 bucks. But my mother and dad told me, they says, you'll have to pay for at least half of it. They were wise. They taught me the value of something that was mine and that I needed. But then it got to the point that I knew I'd not come up with $25. I'd do my best in my 35 cents an hour. Working after school as a curb boy. I'd do what I could, but it just could. But they saw the effort. They saw what I was doing. They saw that passion. They saw what I could do on paper with instruments whereby to do that with. And I'll never forget one Christmas morning, there was a package about this size. Actually, I was 15 years old under the Christmas tree. And I opened that package that I still have to this day. And it was those instruments. That were $50. My parents taught me that if I ask God according to His will, I hear that? He'll grant it. In a simple lesson of buying drawing instruments, my mom and dad taught me that you ask and believe God for your passion. God will take care of you. Sometimes we think God waits to the last minute of the last second of the last day to do that. That's the way we look at it. But with God, it's in His perfect will. Plead to God for wisdom. Here's the second thing. Another one, very simple, but very hard. The second thing, trust God. Verse 6, look at this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We must trust God. In other words, for the genuine believer, folks, you and I must walk by faith and not sight. And that is where the problem begins. Most believers believe only what they can see. It's got to be on paper. It's got to be secure. It's got to be backed up. It's got to be safe. Just in case God doesn't bless, that is. That's a sin of unbelief, ladies and gentlemen. We talk a big talk. We say that we have faith. But when it comes down to the brass tacks of it, we can only have faith to that which we can see. That's not faith. The Bible says that. True faith is believing God when all the circumstance and everything in front of you Point to the fact that God is nowhere around, that God is directing piece by piece by piece by piece. And folks, I'm going to tell you, you know, that's hard. We want to have control. Every one of you in this room, including this preacher, we want to have control. We don't want to let God run the ship. We feel like we've got to at least plug it in somewhere. But that word faith in the Greek is a little word called pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. It means to trust. It doesn't mean simply to believe with your head. The Bible says in the book of James, even the devil believes in God. Of course he does. But he's not saved. So simply believing there's a God in heaven is not going to save you. How many people actually believe that? If you just believe in God, that's all you need to do, and you are saved. Who sold you that lie? 
The only way you're saved, ladies and gentlemen, is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ when you come to Him and you ask Him and you plead with Him to forgive you, realizing that He took every sin that you'd ever commit, died on a cross for you, and you say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me this moment. And at that moment, He comes into your life. And the angels in heaven start a party. You're talking about celebration in heaven. Your name is shouted throughout the entire of heavens. All because you trusted God. It's more than simple belief. But here's what happens. I looked at that word doubting. Every one of us in this room have had doubts, including me. Does it mean that it's bad to have doubts? Well, let me tell you what that word means in the Greek. And when you see this, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. The Greek word for doubting, or the word itself, is a word that means to separate. Diakreno, literally, is the word. You don't need to remember that. It means to have two separate ways of thinking. It means you think this way and you think this way. For some Christians, they think one way in church, and then when they get out in the world, they think another way. It's an unstable man. He waver. The word waver there that's used in the language means to be drunk. It means to walk in a staggering motion. You can't stay on the path. You just waver back and forth, and it doesn't take much to waver you. Why? It's because you are not focused on God. You are living a life of a double standard. You are living one way at church and another way throughout your life, and the two have got to come together where there is a focus on God and that. That's what it means to trust Him and not doubt. Oh, that changes things, doesn't it? We believe God just as far as we will have control. And then at that moment where we have to take the control away and give it to God, for most of us, it's where belief comes into unbelief. Folks, I'm sitting here in the office, and I'm reading this, and I'm listening to this, and it's as though God just overwhelms my office. And don't misunderstand me. There's no ghost. There's nothing swimming or flying around or anything like that. But the Spirit of God is there, and it's almost as God saying, you see, Randy, this is what seeking God's wisdom is all about. D.L. Moody said one time, I wish I could find one man on this earth totally committed to God in every way, form, or fashion that, praise God, I could be that man. I wish God had started a revival in the United States of America. And you know where I want it to start? Right here. I have a promise from God from you. If we'll do what this book says. I mean, do. Not superficially, do it. That revival will begin. It'll begin. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe, that's pistuo, believe that He is, and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Margaret Camp, bless her heart, is in the presence of God Almighty because she's absent from this body and present with God. It's a promise that God made to her when Margaret asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into her life. It's the same promise that God has made to all of us in here. If you've done the same thing. You ask God. You plead for God. You trust God. Not like this. 
You trust God completely. Even when you can't see an answer. Even when you can't see that God's in it anywhere. You trust God. It is the hardest thing you will ever do. Trust me, ladies and gentlemen. I've been there. I know what that part is like. But the third thing that God will teach you to do when you ask for wisdom is believe Him. Is believe Him. For don't let a man suppose that he will receive anything for you, for the, from the Lord, for he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Such a simple outline, y'all. Such a simple outline. Ask, trust, and believe God will do what He says He's going to do, no matter what. God's not finished with Olive Springs. God's not finished with His church. If He was, He'd be out of here. Believe God. So I'll go back. Ask God. Plead. Beg. Be passionate. All of us. And I'm talking about all of us. Trust me, I'm hearing this one a whole lot louder than you are. Because I need to be more passionate in my heart about asking God constantly for wisdom. Don't you ever forget, godly wisdom is not intellectual knowledge. But it must become the passion of our everyday walk with the Lord. Ask Him. The second thing James says, trust Him. Give up control to God. In your heart, say, God, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I don't know what you're up to. I can't figure this out. But I know you're God. You are sovereign, Lord. You are the one in control. Some way, somehow, you're going to do this. You're going to take care of this. You're going to give me your wisdom as I'm pleading for it. I trust you. Quit depending on what you can see. Don't base your future on the present. On the present. Some would disagree with me there. Some and many Christians would disagree with me that you have to base your future on your past. Folks, as I look at the Word of God, you learn from the past, but the Bible says forget that stuff and press toward the mark of the high calling of God. And I can't press toward the mark if I can see what's in front of me. Years ago in my youth ministry years, we did a lot of trust walks with young people. We would blindfold one. And two or three would, would walk them through a real rugged, stiff, hard area to get through steps and limbs and everything. And it was amazing that when you took that blindfold, you put that blindfold on and you had to listen, you had to work and feel how hard it was to navigate that area. But when you had one person in front of you that led you, you could hear his voice. All you could see, you couldn't see anything. All you could do was hear his voice. He would tell you exactly every step you took. You felt confident. You were comfortable. You knew he wouldn't lead you astray. That's faith I'm talking about. And I'm not so sure I got that kind of faith. Do you? I'm working on it. Been working on it. We'll work on it till the day I die. D.L. Moody was right. Oh, God, find one man that's completely, totally committed to you. God, let it be us in this room. And the third thing is believe God, remember? I found a verse of Scripture that I read to everybody this past Wednesday night. And I'm going to share it today in Margaret's funeral. You've heard it in funeral services everywhere you go. John 14. 
the disciples had gone through so much, they, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, about his death. They were confused. They were troubled. They were in disarray. They, they were in a mess. And I can just see this in John 14, 1. The Lord gets all 12 of those men. Now, he knows the betrayer and the not denier are right there with him. But he still brings them all together. And he sits down there with them at the table and reclines. And they're all sitting. And I can just see he puts his arm around them, you know. And he said, guys, don't be troubled. He says, because you believe in God, believe in me. Period. And I thought to myself, if I could just grasp that, Randy, believe in God because you believe, believe in Jesus, period. And God will see to the rest. Amen. Ask, trust, and believe. Seek the wisdom of God. I think that's the first message I've started standing up and ended sitting down. I'm going to try this again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, you told us that your word will pierce the soul. Wow. Boy, you pierced the soul today, Lord. You pierced mine all week in the last few weeks, but especially this morning. And so, Lord, we, we leave here with a commitment today, all of us, to leave me, Lord. Yeah. But, Lord, just that we... As never before in these days, before the, 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 the snatching away of the church, that you teach us what it means to cry out for spiritual wisdom, for Sophia. And Lord, you're the only author of that. Can't get it in this world. And so may it be so today. May this whole church become an altar of prayer. I know, Lord, there are many physically that there's no way right now they could walk down to this aisle and even get on their face before you. But they're on their face before you. They're sitting right where they are, and they're on their face before you. But, Lord, perhaps there are others that could and need to. And we come, and as we share together, as we close this service, just make a commitment as we live as believers in an unbelieving world that this is not easy. It's difficult. It's the hardest thing we'll ever do on this earth to seek your wisdom. But, Father, may we start as never before in these last days right now at this altar with you doing business. May it be so, Father. May it be so. We love you, Lord Jesus. Do what you need to do, and we'll respond to you, I promise. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand quietly to your feet? This altar is an altar of prayer. This whole building is an altar of prayer. Let's make it that as we close. Whatever you need to do with God, We're here, I'm here, and I'll be glad to pray with you. Doug is, whatever needs to be done, let's do it right now. Lord, lead me, Lord.